Good morning, good morning. Hey. Well, uh, like it was said, man, we had an incredible, incredible weekend getting to minister to your youth. Like he said, having about 20 or so students that were here. Uh, but man, last night, last night, this altar was filled with students, five of which gave their life to Christ to be their Lord and Savior, and others who were laying things down here with no desire to pick them back up, things that were hindering their walk that they knew shouldn't have been in their life, and they were allowing God to break that chain. So we've had an awesome weekend of D-Now, Disciple Now, and to me, it only seems fitting to talk about disciple-making. And so I hope uh, today that you are both uh, challenged but encouraged, and I hope that we really can see and understand the importance of disciple-making. Well, I don't think, uh, well, I guess the pastor did say, my name is Robert Lofton, um, and I, like he said, am not related to Jesse Lofton. It was cool finding out, though, that there's another Lofton. I don't meet too many, but... If you have your Bible, if you'll go and open up to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be in verse 19 and 20. My uh, uncle has been a pastor for a very long time. He retired, and then they're like, please come back. So he's back, and he's preaching still. But um, one of the ways that he has always started his messages, and I have taken it myself, is with prayer. Um, But not just me praying. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to bow your head and close your eyes for me. And I'm going to say this prayer, but I'm going to ask that you would both repeat it from your heart and from your lips. Dear Lord Jesus, please speak to my heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20 says this, Go therefore and make baby believers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I can see a lot of y'all are looking at me like that's not the translation that I have. Well, that's not quite what it says, is it? Let me read it again. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First of all, What an incredible promise is that, that Jesus is saying, I am with you even to the end of the age. There's so much comfort found in that promise there. But as we see, I'm with you even to the end of the age, that promise we know goes on to the end of the age. But so does this commandment in the verse before that says, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Well, how important is disciple making? First of all, 
let's just talk about the book that it's found in. We all believe that this is the infallible word of God. And inside of it, in the book of Matthew, we know that to be one of the core uh, gospels for our whole belief. And then on top of that, we have Jesus Christ as the one who is saying, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. But this isn't the only place that we see this um, example of discipling lived out. It is all through the Old Testament as well. In 1 Kings 19, we have Elijah who put his mantle on Elisha, said, come. said, come, follow me. And he began to disciple him. Deuteronomy has Moses who then begins to minister to Joshua, who would go on to lead. Eli poured into Samuel, who then invested into King David. So we can see the importance of disciple-making. Well, let me drive home the point by asking this question. How important would you say are somebody's last words? How important are last words? As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayer for you. And I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. This is my commitment to each of you. I love you, Dad. On September, my father passed away, and this was the last message that he sent to me and my sisters and my mom. He didn't know he was going to pass away that day. But these words ring so much truer to me it's, it's so much of a challenge to me now, knowing that these were the last things that my dad shared with us. But you see, my dad didn't even know that these were going to be his last words, but Jesus did. Jesus knew that he was about to ascend into heaven. He was going to leave his disciples, and he chose to say, go, therefore, and make disciples. So, disciple-making must be important. Disciple-making must be important. Glowing Heart had the opportunity to be a part of starting this, um, what we call the coffee stop. We called it the coffee stop, Monday through Thursday, um, from after school till about 5, 5.30. We opened up the youth room we served coffee, we sold snacks, and we created a place for this 4,000 student high school that was right next door to the church to be able to come in and just have a safe, comfortable place to go. I went to that high school. It's ridiculous. It was huge. The hallways were crowded. Um, graduation was very long. 
there was a lot of names called when I was getting graduated there, but we, uh, we saw it as an opportunity to minister. And so we opened up the doors. And at one point, we were averaging a little over 100 students a day who were coming in and who were many. This was their first time going through a church door. But they had a place where they could go. And we had volunteers and staff and people there who were just available, who were just available to them. But we began to realize that there was another way that we could minister to some of these students. Because you see, these ninth through 12th graders, some of the ones coming through our church doors were pregnant. They were pregnant. And so we reached out to the Child Pregnancy Center, and once a week they actually came to um, this coffee stop, this church here, and were also available for any of those that needed advice, needed someone to talk, and things like that. But I think one of the very sad things that we saw and that we see so much nowadays are people who want to be a part of bringing a child into the world, but they don't want to be a part of raising a child. And the world that we live in today is doing everything it can to redefine the definition of parent. I'm not yet a parent, but hope to be one day. But for those that are parents, understand that it's not just having a child, but it's raising a child. It's raising a child. It's teaching a child. It's loving a child. What's the point I'm trying to make in this? Well, nowadays, too many people stop at the point of a new baby believer. Somebody says that they accept Christ and we feel like we're done. Churches nowadays are separating, birthing a baby believer and discipling. And yet we are called here with no way to misinterpret Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So today, I want to look at how Jesus lived out what he has called us to do. How did he do it? For three years, we know that he walked with 12 men, and he discipled, that he invested into their life, and that those men went on to share the incredible news of what he's done and what he was going to do and how that changed a generation. But specifically today, I want to look at one disciple, and his name is Peter. The disciple Peter. What are some things that we know about Peter? Well, we know that Peter was a little impulsive, we know that Peter spoke without thinking sometimes. I wonder if he knew it was going to be recorded and put here for us to read forever and ever and ever. But he sometimes spoke without thinking. 
you know, he had the faith to get out of the boat, to walk on water, how incredible, but then what happened? He, he looked around. He took his eyes off Jesus. He got distracted by the things that were going on, and he began to sink. I'm sure this doesn't relate to any of us, but at one point in time, Peter tried to fix God's plan. He said, God, I see, I see where you're coming from. I see what you're trying to do. What do you think about doing it this way? You see, this way, I don't have to get up and, and speak in front of people. He can do it. Uh, if we do it this way, I don't have to move from far away. I can stay right where I am in my home. I'm comfortable. He tried to fix God's plan. He sounds so human, doesn't he? He sounds so human. How did Jesus take Peter and turn him into the disciple that we know he became? I want to look at a few points today. And I feel like sometimes we try to overcomplicate things. Because my first point today is very simple. And it's that Jesus taught Peter. Jesus taught Peter. He took the time to teach him. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, after Jesus, who we know loves to speak in stories and in parables, had finished one, and the disciples came to him and said, would you explain to us this parable? And Jesus said, no, I don't have time. I've got to go do these other things. No, he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And he went on to explain what this parable meant to them. He didn't condemn them for not knowing. He didn't say, you should have already, or were you even listening, or how do you not get it? No, Jesus took the time to teach. He took the time to teach Peter. Not just surface-level concepts, but Jesus did go deep with them. In Matthew chapter 6, before this time, there was another moment when the disciples came to him and asked him, teach us to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus not only taught them the things to say when praying, he taught them how to pray, where to go, not to do it in public for the attention of everyone around, but to go in private and to pray to the one who hears and sees you in private. And then he said, this is how you should pray. It went on to tell them. Jesus took the time to teach Peter. The second thing is that Jesus took the time to walk with Peter. He did life with Peter. He said, come and follow me. And he walked with him. 
And Peter got to experience incredible things because they were doing life together. In Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. How incredible an experience for Peter to be a part of that. So incredible that Peter just had to say something. And he said, Lord, can I pitch some tents for us? He still just had to kind of get something out there, right? You ever been so amazed or so just, oh, I got to say something. And so you just say something. But no, Jesus allowed Peter to experience such incredible things. And Peter was able to experience these things because he was walking and following Jesus. Jesus called him, said, come and follow me. Took the time to teach him. And did life with him. In Luke chapter 22, and I find this to be one of the most encouraging things, is that Jesus prayed for Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. How incredible is that? That the Son of Man, the Son of God, prayed for Peter. Can I say something even more just mind-blowing than that? In John chapter 17, did you know that he prayed for you? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, before he was betrayed, prayed for all who would one day know him. John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says here, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And for those of us today that believe in Jesus Christ because of the words of his disciples, which transcended generations, and they discipled others who discipled others who discipled others so that generations would know him, Jesus has prayed for us. Wow. But it's not always the fun things, the getting to do life, to get them to see the incredible things. There were times when Jesus both had to correct and had to rebuke Peter. He corrected and he rebuked him. And so the way that I kind of see the difference in the two is that correcting is this is how, or this is what you thought it meant, but this is what it actually means. Okay. And so you're not condemning someone for the way that they were thinking. You're saying, okay, well, you know, you, you thought it this way. This is actually what it means. You're coming alongside. You're helping them understand the truth. Like when the disciples tried to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. 
It's okay. Let them come. He turned it into a moment to teach them. When Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what if I forgive seven times? He tries to sound really good. Like, oh, you know what? Seven. That's, that's a good number. It's my favorite number. And Jesus, what does he do? He says, Peter, how about 70 times seven? How about we stop keeping track and we just forgive? But rebuking, rebuking is a you should have known better moment. So correcting is here's what you thought it meant, but here's what it means. Rebuking is you should have known better. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have a moment of (laughs) you should have known better. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 through 23. After Jesus had foretold of his death, Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him, to Peter, and he said, get behind me. Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's things, but on man's. You're not setting your mind on God's things, but on man's. There's a pastor by the name of Craig Groeschel. He is the pastor of Life Church. And he gives an incredible example that I believe is very fitting um, to drive home the point of rebuke and understanding um, times when that is necessary. And so he was preaching one Sunday. Uh, he had finished up the first service, and he was getting ready for the second service. And in doing so, he was out in the foyer. He was greeting people, shaking hands and stuff. Uh, and, but then the secretary comes running up, and she says, Pastor Groeschel, you need to preach really well this second message because we're going to have a special guest. Well, I'm sure the first thing he thought was the first thing that Jesse would think if someone said, preach really well the second service is, didn't I preach well the first time? You know, and so uh, he says, okay, well, who is it? How will I know? And she says, you'll just know, you'll recognize. Apparently somebody had called and had asked for directions to the church how to get there. Simple as that. But apparently that doesn't happen that often. Most people either know how to get there or they can find ways to get there. But this person called and said, how do I get there? So Pastor Groeschel is out in the foyer with a greeter and he notices this vehicle that just looks really run down, really beat up, pulling up. And it parks and out of it gets this woman who herself looks like she's probably wearing the same thing for the last couple of days. Just looks like life has just been mean to her. It's been rough. It looks like she just came to a place because she needed some hope. So she gets out of the car and she's beginning to walk towards the front doors of the church. 
And before the pastor can do anything, the greeter steps in front of him and he asks her, is that really the best that you have? Because we wear our best here. Obviously humiliated, she turns around and she runs back to her car and she leaves. Pastor Groeschel, before he can even comprehend what's happened, she's already gone. And he goes on to say that he's never heard, he's never seen her again. He doesn't know. How often do we truly think about eternity? Eternity's a long time. My uncle has a saying. He says, eternity is too long to be wrong. That's a you-should-have-known-better moment. And I'm glad that we don't have to worry about the consequences of if Jesus had even entertained this thought from Peter. Because we know that Jesus went on to live the perfect life and to die to wear our sin and shame on the cross, but rise again victoriously so that we can once again be united with God. I'm glad that Jesus took that moment to rebuke Peter and remind him not of man's thoughts, God's. But you see, even through all of this, even through correcting him, through teaching him, through experiencing life with him, praying with him and rebuking him. Through it all, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. How did Peter become the disciple that we see him to be here in the word? It's because Jesus loved him. And he took the time and he made himself available even after Peter denies Christ three times, even after Peter returns to fishing after Jesus has died on the cross, even through all of that, Jesus loves him. And in John chapter 21, sometimes referred to as the threefold restoration of Peter, we see where Jesus is talking directly to Peter and he asks him, Peter, Do you love me? To which Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. But you see, the word that Jesus used when asking Peter if he loved him is the word agape. So what Jesus is saying is, Peter, do you agape love me? Agape meaning unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially, do you love me? And Peter responds three times with, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. I phileo love you. Phileo meaning as a brother, a brotherly love. Twice Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me? And then the third time, Jesus says, 
Peter, do you phileo love me? To which Peter responds, yes, Lord. I phileo love you. Brotherly love. But from there, it leads into the very cost of following Jesus and what it went for Peter. In the following verse, we see it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Jesus told this to Peter to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. He was upfront and true about the cost of being a disciple of his. Then he said, follow me. And then Peter, after hearing this of how he would one day die, asked, Lord, what about the other disciple? How's he going to go? What's going to happen with him? He still had a hint of human in him, didn't he? Not only that, Jesus said, what is it to you if I want him to remain until I come? And so then all the disciples went off saying, this guy's never going to die. Even after all this time with Jesus, they still, they're still so human. But guess what? Peter went on to preach at Pentecost where over 3,000 were saved. Peter went on to encourage other believers. He went on to write letters and he helped to ensure that the following generations would know and love God. You see, Jesus had entrusted Peter with the most important message that this world would ever know. Guess what? He's entrusted it to you too. It's been entrusted to you too. So what do we do with this command, the last words of Jesus, go therefore and make disciples. Two questions I want us to think about. Who has or is been a mentor in your life? And who have you or are you discipling? Who's been a mentor in your life? And who are you discipling. And through all of this, just as Jesus had said, Peter dies. But I can't help imagine that perhaps while Peter was there upside down on a cross, that Jesus asked him one more time, Peter, do you agape love me? So sacrificially, so selflessly, so unconditionally, to which Peter could respond, yes, Lord, I agape love you. The cost might be great. It could be uncomfortable 
could be awkward. But the consequences of not are far greater. If we want to help ensure that the following generation knows and loves God, we need to heed these last words of Jesus and go and make disciples. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have the cue announcements and stuff, and then y'all are going to be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. But Lord, this opportunity is only made available because you sent your son to bear our shame, our sin, and the punishment that should have been for us, God. Jesus took it all to the cross. And there he died. But then God, he rose again victorious so that death had lost its sting so that we were no longer bound to this sin but so that through him there was a way for us to be united with you once again and God that incredible message of Jesus Christ lives within all of us who have come to know him as our Lord and Savior so God my prayer is that for those five who gave their life to you yesterday, those five baby believers, that they would be surrounded with people who have been where they are, who have experiences that would be beneficial for them to know, people who can point them away from the pitfalls of the enemy, God, because he's going to try to make them stumble. And God, people who can come around and can love them. I thank you for all that you've done in my life. I thank you for all that you're going to do. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.